The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. Today's topic is entitled The Art of Spiritual Warfare. This is part one of a series that we're going to be doing on equipping people on how to conduct themselves with spiritual warfare. We hope that you enjoy this series. Eve was in the middle of the presence of the living God. She was clothed with righteousness. Totally clothed. And that nauseated the enemy. He had to take that robe of righteousness and rip it off of her. Because she wasn't ashamed was because she felt covered. But she was butt naked. But she felt covered. Covering comes from inside, not the outside. When you don't feel covered on the inside, you feel exposed. And when you feel exposed, you grab your dagger. And the enemy knows this to be true because that's what happened to him. He exposed himself. And he was removed. And so the goal for the enemy was to get Eve out of the presence of God. But he couldn't go in there to get her. So he has to seduce and call her out. So he started his game. He started his games to seduce, to disrobe. And she took it. She stepped out of the presence of God, bit into the, de- the deception. Now how'd she feel? She was already naked. Why did she run and get some leaves to cover her, her uh, reproduction parts? I don't call them sexual parts. I call them reproduction parts. Why? What's that? She was ashamed because of what? Okay, it's, it's part B. I wanted to make a point of that. Because most people associate it with part A. Because she sinned. Wrong. She was ashamed because here she was not ashamed because she was clothed with the righteousness of God. Here, she's not clothed with the righteousness of God. And it was the seduction, then the sin that put her there, true. And that she covers reproduction. The parts that God uses to multiply his people. What part did Adam cover? He covered the part that gives the seed. We've made it too sexual. God is into multiplying. He's into reproduction. He's into filling the earth. And it's just interesting to me, there's just as many Christians using birth control and abortion than there are the worldly people. 
when we're the ones that God is trying to get us focused to multiply the earth with His children. Because we're a small people. And few are chosen. We've bought into all this stuff through these tools that the enemy uses to desensitize us. He knows that we love books. Oh, the writing of books is endless. And it's weariness to our body. Duh. Movies. You know, I was just looking at some of the numbers. Uh, They were talking about, you know, now that the passion of Christ is out on DVD and sitting record sales and, you know, whatever. But they were talking about other numbers too through the year of DVD sales and whatever. And it's mind-bending to me of how much money is made just off of movies. And you want to know something? Most of it's crap. Even the good movies. Because it's this. Murder, strife, envy, adultery. Oh, it's only a scene or two. Don't worry about it. You'll be all right. Oh, like that wasn't planned. There's the apple, scene 12. You you can go for it? It's all it takes. It's one bite. Then the next movie. Then then more entertainment. Then more, I got more videos in it. It goes on and on and on. These are just a few of the ones that the enemy uses in the world. Yeah, so that's a big point. It's a major point that we have to look at. Why? It's because callousness is the enemy's number one most powerful tool that he can use in the mind of a Christian. He doesn't care if a non-Christian is callous because they're a big wart anyway, so they have to be uh, put to death and renewed and regenerated and made new and new, you know, new creature. You see? A Christian mind, on the other hand, he needs to have that mind calloused. Someone tell me how you get a callous. Constant wear. So the first time I go out and pull weeds or use a tool, a hole, you know, however you get these little blisters. Little by little. Little by little. It's usually after three blisters. You'll never have a blister there again. Because you're damaging tissue. You get one around the side of where you used to have them or whatever, but you're damaging tissue. And that's why right here, it's rare that you'll, I mean, for guys, I mean, that really did a lot of hard labor and really seriously callous their hands. Mine never have been, but those that have, it's rare. Or if you could even penetrate that thick skin. There's spiritual lessons there. So you do a habit, 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 habit. Pretty soon it's callous. You can talk to the men all day long and they're not moved to repentance because they're calloused. Oh, here's another uh, workshop on pornography. Read every book. Listen to the tapes. Watch the television shows. Went to a treatment center. Nothing works. 
Yeah? It's because you've been using this. That baby is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can divide the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow, able to judge every thought and intention of the heart. This does nothing but do judgment. Makes you feel guilty and condemn yourself. And it calluses you to truth. Satan yields no ground to emotion or sincerity. You can get emotional today, tomorrow, whenever, and say, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start I'm going to start fresh tomorrow. Well, good luck. Because if God is not empowering the change, you'll get calloused, even in trying to change. He only retreats from authority through the power of God's Word. Which is the best tool of warfare, a butter knife or a, or a two-edged sword? I think we've pretty much got that one figured out already. The two basic weapons are the Word of God and the power of prayer. And those of you kind of hung out with me from time to time as I teach whatever, I, I usually start verses to see if anyone in the audience is going to finish it. So I want to know where my spiritual warriors are in the auditorium. We need to get to the point that we are able to use this sword anytime we want, even after our Bibles get stolen. We got to be ready. 24 hours a day. And you may keep this thing in your, in your, in your sheath. You may not have it drawn all the time, but you need to be battle ready. 24 hours a day. Because the enemy does not wait till you get by your Bible. The Word of God dwell, is dwelling within us. He's inside of us. The sword is in here. He gave us the written word to bear witness, to show us what is in us. And when the two come together, you got, you got some pretty neat stuff. And then you have the power of prayer, which I use in the terms of doctrinal praying. Why not do doctrinal praying if the word of God is in you? Doctrinal praying is using literal words from the written word of God in your prayer life. And we'll talk about the reasons why we need to do that later. Battle ready, armor in place, shield is in hand, and your sword is with you at all times. And of course we need a step-by-step plan. And we'll talk about that this afternoon. Securing our salvation, dealing with the whole topic of uh, partnership with the enemy, we really can't wage war with the enemy if we're partners with him. Now, if you're unsaved, you never asked Jesus Christ in your life, uh, you're a little more than a partner. You're under contract to die with him. You're under contract to go to hell with him. You can't go past go or collect your 200 bucks at the offering plate. You are going to hell. That's the facts. So it's not just partnership, it's ownership. He owns you. And that's why we have to have salvation. We have to have a born-again experience. The old has to die, and the new has to come. Now, Christians can partner with the enemy by offering their flesh over to books, tapes, music, 
magazines. You know, the list is plenty. That is partnership. Here, take my money for this. Partnership usually comes with money. Always has, always will. That's why we were bought with a price. And the price we were bought with for ownership was the blood of Jesus Christ. We were bought. So he, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, can have full ownership of us. So there's contracts that come with partnerships. And Christians are consistently offering money and buying in to these deceptions through the things that they have come into their home, their businesses, or their pockets. And God watches all the small things. He watches how you handle the tiny little details of all of what you do every day. Because he was faithful with the, the little will be entrusted to much. So God watches for the little details and I kind of get made fun of all these tiny little things I like to do when I do conferences or whatever and the little stars littered around and you know, skirts around the tables and whatever. I do this because God brings me back over and over and over. If you're going to do it, do it with excellence and do it as unto me. Because he watches those little things. Whether you do or not makes no difference to me. God does. And that's how he gives us more and more and more in responsibility. Because we're watching for the small things. Well, tie that into your spiritual life. I think you'll see it very quickly. You cannot wage war with the enemy if you are friends with his kingdom. The unsaved men are partners with Satan and then some. Only born-again Christians have the power to fight the enemy. Common sense. The others don't have swords. They got daggers. Now, when an unsaved person, or you as a Christian walking after your flesh, and, you, and you're mad at the enemy, and you've got your blade out. I mean, you're mad at the enemy as a Christian. You know, and he reaches in his sheath, and he's got a sword too. Believe me. And he pulls out his sword, and you've got your dagger... He just stretches his arm out, blows under your neck. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're skilled with a sword versus a dagger, and you come against the enemy with some skill, that's what the seminar today is about. If you fight with a dagger, it's called a self-help workshop. Twelve-step groups, da 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 down the list. Because you're teaching them how to use self-effort to combat the enemy as a Christian. It doesn't work. In fact, it brings callousness and defeat. Okay, guys, here is a test of your salvation. You would need to be able to say yes to every single one of these. Here's the first one. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's pretty critical. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Okay? Got our gateway now. I believe that Jesus is God. Now, that was a tough one for the Pharisees and Sadducees and all those guys to believe because that's not how they were used to thinking. No one claimed that spot. 
I don't blame them for saying what they said. I mean, to have this Jesus character say this stuff, that, that's pretty new. But he was. And they were deceived. Well, guys, it's no difference today. Your average person out there, if you walked up and says, Jesus is God, you'd be like, Jesus isn't the only one, okay? I mean, this New Age movement is very popular today. Collectively accepting all religions. No, Jesus is God. Next point. I believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three of them are God. Next point. I believe in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Actually, that the Holy Spirit comes inside this mortal body when you say, God, I repent and confess that I am an unbeliever. And I ask you to send your Holy Spirit to live in me. He does. And the Spirit actually gets inside your mortal body. And that is being a Christian. I remember a time when I asked Jesus to come into my life. And that's one that usually creates a lot of controversy. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't really remember the, the day or the hour but uh, that's not what I'm asking about. I don't need to have you say August 16th, 1976, four in the afternoon. But for you to be able to say, I know I accepted Jesus Christ in my life. That's the difference. Not to have the Christian say, well, you know, I kind of grew up a Christian. And... I've just kind of always been around it, so I think I just kind of, kind of, kind of grew into Christ. Really, I don't take the risk. I don't say they're not saved. I won't say they are saved. But I will ask this question: Do you ever doubt it? Oh yeah, I go through these bouts, you know. Well, let's nail it down today. You see, you don't want to judge them. We don't have the call to do that. But we also don't want them bound by uh, that deception of struggling with whether they are or they're not. And finally, I believe there is an enemy, and that enemy is Satan. And you'll bump into a lot of people that do not believe there's a hell, and they do not believe in Satan. Just heard it last week again. And when asked, are you a Christian, they say, absolutely. Well, that's kind of a problem. Because that's kind of what it, it's all about. You see? Is redeeming us and pulling us away from that enemy. I believe that people who do not accept Christ will go to hell, which is the point I was just making. Now, here's a sample salvation prayer I want to read to you. And this prayer is also in your study guide. And if at any time that you go through conviction today, say, you know what? I don't think I've really asked Jesus Christ into my life. This prayer is not only available, but I and others here would be more than willing to walk you through this prayer today. But I'm just not the type that does an altar call. I like to see God 
doing the altar call by moving the people for the altar call. So the altar call could be at a break time or standing out by the car. But here's a sample of a salvation prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, I take by faith the helmet of salvation. I recognize that my salvation is the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I cover myself, I cover my mind with him. I desire that he put his mind within me. Let my thoughts be his thoughts. I open my mind fully and openly to the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. I replace my own selfish and sinful thoughts with his. I reject every projected thought of Satan and his demons and request instead the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant me the wisdom and discernment, discern uh, thoughts that are from the world, the old nature, and Satan's kingdom. I believe that Jesus is your son. He died on the cross for my sins and that Jesus is God. I believe in the Trinity. You as the Father, Jesus as the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I confess that I have been a sinner, totally separated from you. I choose to accept your forgiveness for my sins through the power of the blood of Jesus that was shed for me on the cross. I ask that you send the Holy Spirit to live inside my mortal body. I praise you, Heavenly Father, that I may know the mind of Christ as I hide your word within my heart and mind. Open my heart to love the word. Grant to me the ability and capacity to memorize large portions of it. May your word be ever over my mind like a helmet of strength, which Satan's projected thoughts cannot penetrate. Cause me to allow the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ, within me be fully fulfill the discipline of daily living to appropriate your salvation. These things I pray before you in the precious name of my new Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why I wanted to read that to you guys, it's called a doctrinal prayer. I believe someone could ask Jesus Christ into their life by simply saying, like this, the uh, thief on the cross, someone tell me what he looked over at Jesus, hanging there at his side, looks over at Jesus and says, what? Truly, you are the Son of God. Remember me. He saw the whole thing going on and how he should be angry and all this, all this, this unrighteous and unjust rejection he was getting and realized he's truly the living Son of God. He's right, folks. Hey, remember me when you enter into... And Jesus' response was, well, you need to pray the three-step prayer. Now he just looks at him and says, you'll be with me when I enter today. That's all it takes for salvation. Not a fancy prayer. This is a doctrinal prayer for the purpose of the enemy. The person's getting saved. But the enemy can't stand the word of God spoken. So our whole goal and our whole perspective with this whole 30-day study guide is to get the men in the pattern of praying doctrinally. God doesn't need his doctrines repeated back to him. The enemy hates it. 
because this is clear. It says who Jesus is and the Trinity and, and the blood of Jesus and the power of the cross, etc., etc. Doctrinal praying is very important. Extremely important. Strategic plan of warfare. Now we're going to begin our journey. Number one is there's no fast fixes, and I think most of us know that by now. There can be quick deliverance. You can be delivered from something in a split second. But if you do not surround yourself with the proper growth and support, the enemy likes to take that seed and not have it grow because it hits some hard ground. And the second state of that man is worse than the first. So we need a plan. Actively use the 30-day study guide. And I'm going to be talking about that in detail this afternoon. But if you've not taken the time to page through that 30-day guide, uh, quickly do it at break time. Seeing the progression of where we're going. The conference today are the highlights of this study guide. The strategic plan requires a serious commitment. It is not for the wimpy ones. Guarantee you. You know, there's, there's uh, even this morning God dealt with me on something. As some of you know, I have a hard time uh, starting conferences and, and messages on time. And the reason why, I'm going to confess to you today, is I'm waiting for the numbers. More people to show up. And I consistently get dealt with by the Lord over and over and over. He, he knows what my fleshly tendencies are and patterns are. And I went away to a couple day retreat here a few days ago praying for today. And uh, that was one of the things that the Lord was showing me. Is Stephen, I am so large in small things. Look at the birds. I'm sitting there, you know, in this beautiful condo, looking out at all these trees. And there's this little yellow bird, right after he says it. And just going around the tree. And God's saying, I am large in the small. And see, my flesh is so opposite of that. I like big swords and. You know, if I had my way, I'd have a big hawking truck out there with a supersonic, you know, alarm system. That's where my flesh would go. But no, God's, God's different than that. And for, for whatever your fleshly thing is, whatever your vulnerability is, you've got to look at it. Because that's where you need to draw your sword. And why you need to draw your sword. Remember, men have the tendency to rebel against authority. I don't know too many men who like another man in their face. And there are more days than not that I hate my, my style. I just can't sit in front of another man and let him mouth off all this uh, vomit of flesh and not say anything. I'm not just not one of these Christian counselors that go, well... 
well, go with it. You know, and, and hope they come to their own conclusions. I hear it and cut, and hear it and cut, and hear it and cut. That's the kind of counselor I am. But I've got endless battle stories, guys, of how men don't like that. They're offended. Because they want to throw up and have you help clean the throw up up. Or they, they're responding like a woman and they just want to talk. And men are designed to be men of action. And I have the tendency to forget that not every man I'm dealing with is a man in heart. Do you understand that? Because they're just wanting to talk. Men are known for being what? Fixers. That's the number one issue you deal with in marriage counseling. There, you know, the lady's talking and you know, and he's trying to fix it. Well, honey, you need to do this, and if you quit doing this, well, that's inside every man. That is not a particular characteristic of a guy. I mean, that guy. It's in every man. So there's a balance. Jesus listens and listens and listens and waits. And then he offers. Come. You've dumped your weariness. Come. I'll give you rest. That's the proper balance of a warrior. Dumping, action. Come. Get up. Stop doing that. Come. That's very authoritative. Okay. Peter's in the boat. Jesus is out on the water. The rest of the disciples are freaking out. They're calling Jesus a... Huh? Ghost. And Peter jumps up. You know, storm. I mean, this is a pretty big storm going on here. This is just not, you know, it's a little wavy out there. There was a pretty big storm happening. Peter jumps up. What does he say? What does he ask? Huh? If you are Jesus, call me to come to you and I will come. There's a man that understands authority. There's a man that doesn't move until he gets given a command. Because he knows if you move without a command, it is not by faith and you're going to sink. That's a man and warrior who understands his commanding officer. It's also a man who understands the power of authority. Spoken word. Okay? So he's waiting for the command. So he says, Jesus, if that's you, say come, and I will come. So what does Jesus say? Shortest verse in the Bible is? Come. Well, he gets out of the boat, and he walks on water, and he comes over to Jesus, and... All of a sudden, he set his eyes upon, you would think, this miracle of walking on water, but no, he sets his eyes on the storm. Trained fisherman. Starts to freak out by the storm. And starts to sink. Jesus touches him. Brings him to the surface. And starts playing this passive little lily type of approach of ministering to Peter. Wrong. He draws his sword. Peter, Peter, why did you doubt? You've been listening to A Counselor's Point of View. Thank you for joining our podcast. 
If you're interested in finding out more about how you can obtain the full series, just log on to our website. Thank you for joining us today. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.